This is episode 38 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Budget Guns vs. Cheap Guns, 7 Reasons You Should Start Raising Rabbits, SHTF, What If You Knew You Had 6 Months or 12 Months, and also because today is Wednesday, I have a very special interview for you today. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, I've got a very big show for you today. Um, so I've got some great articles and then also this great interview with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy, two of my very fam- favorite people in the preparedness community. And I just want to let you know that um, although... Their their interview is going to be an audio uh, interview because they have all the equipment to be able to record, and then they just sent it over over to me. Um, but you know, even the written interviews that I've been doing, I mean, there's some really big people that have been you know coming on the podcast and really you know sharing their information and sharing their preparedness with us, and I'm really grateful for that. I just want you to know that you know it's there's some really big people out there that have been sharing with us. You know, we've had Jim Cobb, we've had Gay Le- Levy, and we've had George Ure and Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy and Gary Collins has been on. And so, uh, man, that's that's uh, really excited about all those people that have come on. I've got even more lined up for you, so very excited about that. And then I want to touch base a little bit on uh, at the end on Syria to close us out, all right? So let's go ahead and get started on this, uh, on this episode, episode 38. This first article comes to us from Survival Sullivan, and the article, again, is titled Budget Guns Versus Cheap Guns. Let's go ahead and get started. In your quest for preparedness and survival in case of SHTF or Teotihuacan, undoubtedly one of the most important pieces of equipment you should have in your good bag of bugging, (laughs) a goodie bag of bugging, also known as Bob, also known as bug out bag, is a firearm. Realistically, this is a piece of equipment you should have on your EDC list. However, some people don't want to carry a firearm on their person daily, yet do keep one in the home. There's a common misconception that you have to spend a fortune to get a good gun. In fact, this is not the case. There are several firearm makers out there who offer a quality product at an affordable price, but let's not confuse a budgeted price gun with a cheap gun. Yes, there is most definitely a difference. A budget gun is a gun that, while offering high quality and performance, maintains low price. A cheap gun is a gun that is priced low, even lower than a budget gun, and is is an unreliable piece of metal best used for a paperweight. In this article, we will look at three of the most common calibers of handgun and give an example of each in the budget price point and cheap. Let's start with one of my favorite calibers, 357 Magnum. There are several quality 357 Magnum revolvers that fall into the budget category. All are serviceable weapons. When compared to some of the bigger name brands that have been around for a long time, these budget guns come in at around half the price or less, yet offer pretty much the same quality and performance. One of my favorite gun makers is Taurus. While they have a few lines of handguns that I do not like, they have several that I like a lot. I own several Taurus handguns and have loved them all. Taurus offers this 357 Magnum revolver pictured at around 350 new. Depending on in which store you are shopping and which model you select, the prices can get higher, but this is a very serviceable weapon at this price point for comparison to a cheaper version. 
You can opt for one of several models of 357 Magnum with a Taurus revolver. They are offered in 2 inch, 4 inch, 6 inch, or 8 inch barrel lengths in blued finish or low maintenance stainless steel. The EAA or European American Armory Windicator 357 Magnum, while priced at around 300, very close to the cost of a much higher quality Taurus handgun, is a cheap gun. There's just no two ways about it. They are offered in a poorly executed nickel finish that will eventually wear off and be difficult to refinish to look good or blued version that looks like cheap paint. They, as their name says, are made in a European country that doesn't even allow their citizens to carry firearms, yet they want Americans to buy them. I honestly don't see how they stay in business. Only the uninformed and unknowledgeable would buy an EAA Windicator over a much higher quality budget revolver like a Taurus. Charter Arms or Rossi, all three of which in descending order offer great firearms and are all reasonably priced. You can spend just a few more dollars and get a great gun that will last a lifetime. As for the EAA, well, it will let you down without a doubt. So spend that extra few bucks, it will most definitely be worth it. Another common cal caliber that I like is the 9mm Luger, 9x19mm. Uh, there are literally dozens of gun makers that offer 9mm semi-automatic pistols. I have owned several, of course, the Taurus 9mm handguns. I currently own only one. But it's a highly polished PT-92 AFS model, and I keep it put up and just play with it at the range and just kind of look at it sometimes. It's a beautiful gun. I had two that matched for several years, but I sold one. It's too pretty of a gun for everyday carry and to let get beat up. Instead for that, I carry this Bursa Thunder Pro Ultra Compact for several, year, several years. It's put up right now because I've been carrying this Taurus PT-845 High Capacity 45 ACP, another good budget gun at under 400 for a 13-shot 45 caliber. While the Bursa is a smaller, compact gun and so has a shorter barrel, it's still act actually a very accurate weapon. Mine has had about 5,000 rounds through it, at which point I thought maybe if I put a new barrel in it, I could tighten my groups a little. I put a new Bursa barrel in it, which they which the serial matched for me, but to be honest, it seems like it made no difference. That tells me that even with 5,000 rounds through it, the gun still shoots like new. That's pretty good quality for a compact 9mm that holds 13 rounds and costs less than 400. One of the biggest disasters in firearms ever perpetrated on, <laughs> on mankind is Jimenez. Made from cheap cast zinc, also known as pot metal. Nothing about this cheap gun screams quality. Holding only six rounds and usually jamming after firing only two or one, even for being only $200, this gun is still not a good deal. Cheap metal, cheap flat black painted finish. I just can't say enough negative things about this complete POS of a gun. It would be best served as a paperweight or a skipping rock. Here's a picture of one so you know what it looks like and can be sure to never buy one. They really are just absolutely terrible excuses for firearms. <laughs> hey, just a uh, side note, I was uh, I was at a gun, a gun show uh, here in the Houston area 
and uh, heard some guys going after the th- this gun, and it was, it was just funny listening to it. And so as I'm reading this article, I'm remembering these guys talking, you know, they were talking negatively about it. But uh, just, uh, yeah, stay away from this one, right? Uh, the company went out of business once, but someone actually resurrected it. I cannot fathom why anyone would want to put their name behind a cheap gun like this and just basically steal people's money. We can't talk about prepping or survival guns without mentioning a 22 uh, LR handgun or long rifle handgun. This may well be one of the most popular calibers in America. It seems like everyone remembers getting their first gun and it was usually a 22 LR caliber rifle. Of course, there are tons of 22 LR caliber handguns, some expensive, some cheap, and some budget priced. I'm going to mention two budget 22s, one revolver and one semi-auto. I'm mentioning both because even though the semi-auto is a budget gun, the revolver costs about half the price and yet is still a serviceable weapon. The semi-automatic budget gun I'll mention here is a Ruger Mark III target pistol with a 10-round magazine and the grip design so that most people feel like the gun was made for their hand when they hold it. With a base price of around $350, these guns are practically endlessly customizable but are great right out of the box. And with that Ruger quality, you know the gun will last and last. The budget revolver I'd like to mention is priced so low it seems like it's a cheap gun. On the contrary, I've had a couple of these Heritage Arms revolvers and they are amazingly good little single action revolvers for the money. You can get one new with both 22LR and 22 Magnum cylinders for around $200. Many people prefer the simplicity of a revolver over a semi-automatic with less moving parts. There are fewer things to break and wear, not to mention that being priced so low. It won't break your heart if it gets beat up looking, knocking around in your uh, bob. A disaster along the lines of the Jimenez seems like would be impossible to occur twice in the same century, but unfortunately it has. The disaster is at Jennings 22. Again, like the Jimenez, I can't say enough negative things about this gun. When you think of a cheap, when you think of cheap, this is at the top of the list. I don't think they even make these anymore, but you can usually find one of the POS from anywhere from 50 to about $100 used. But I'd save my money if I were you, because you will be nothing but disappointed with this little pocket junker. It all, in all seriousness, you'd probably do better to just throw the gun at the, at the bad guy than to try to shoot him with it. I have to admit, I bought one of these used for $75 one time, just because I heard so much about what junk they were, and I wanted to see if I could make one work. The reason why was because I found a place that sold a really nice looking engraved slide for one, and so I thought if I could make the gun work, it would be cool. I ended up throwing it in the garbage. Here's a video of a Jennings 22 blowing up in the shooter's hand. Yeah. Wow. Well, with 40 years of firearms experience, I have made a few suggestions for you. There are, of course, many more guns to choose from, but I can't address them all. My best suggestion to anyone looking to buy an inexpensive but quality firearm is to do your research. Go online and read the forums and see what people are saying about a particular gun that you may be interested in. It can save you one big headache in the long run. So we've got a second, the information here about, uh, you know, researching and, and you're going to have so many, there's so many opinions out there on pistols, but you know, you want to get a good body of reviews. This is like the same thing when you go to Amazon and you have, you can start reading the reviews and you'll, you see something that has maybe like a hundred, hundred reviews and you have 
two or three people that just give it a really bad review and then everybody else is really good. You just don't want to listen. You want to find a good body uh, or, or a body of good reviews, right, to go after it uh, when, you're, when you're researching what pistol you're going after. But uh, one suggestion that I, I'd like to make is you know, people talk about gun shows all the time. And I guess you can find deals if you're looking for a used gun. If you go early uh, and you find someone who's maybe not even setting up, someone who's just an individual and, and sometimes they have signs on, you know, and they, hey, I'd like to sell this or they're just carrying it. And people will, if you're carrying a pistol in, you know, in a, in a gun show, they'll say, hey, are you selling that? And they'll start talking to you about it. Uh, you don't even have to have a sign. But um, what I have found is uh, if you're buying new, sometimes those gun show prices are really uh, inflated. Uh, not, not too much, but they're more than you could if you went to like a, neighbor, a neighborhood or uh, a local firearm dealer. And uh, the benefit of going to a local firearm dealer is you start to build that relationship. But again, um, you, just, you, you can find the better deal there. So just uh, just want to let you know that if you if you're in the market for a firearm, uh, you know, look for a local dealer, look for a couple of them, and just go in there and just check it out. You know, when when ammo is low, you know how when things start getting crazy and ammo starts flying off the shelves, and you have that relationship with someone, and you walk in there and like, yeah, I've got this case, you know, down here. How many do you need? That's uh, you know that's, uh, that's a neat a neat place to be at you know have that relationship with someone, and uh, you know the one here by my house people go in there just to shoot the bull so uh, kind of cool to, to have that relationship to go in there. All right, moving right along, uh, that was a fun article to read. I just I gotta say that was a fun article and then just the sarcasm there. Um, I just identify with that so much. All right, so Homestead Survival Site is uh, the website of our next article, and this one is Seven Reasons You Should Start Raising Rabbits. I've always said that uh, everyone should be raising rabbits or chickens, uh, even in suburbia, and I, I've done both. Uh, I, I have a rabbit. I got rid of my chicken coop finally. I gave it away, um, put it up on Craigslist, and, and I was actually selling it. Someone came by, and they, they looked like they were homesteaders, and we got to talk a little bit. And I think we had somebody in common on, on Facebook, and uh, I just gave it to them. But I still have that rabbit hutch back there in the back, and, and if I was going to do something, I would definitely go get rabbits again. Um, they're a lot quieter than chickens. Uh, so, But anyway, so let's start reading this article. Um, this is a, a neat, neat one. Something for you to consider, really, to think about. Uh, rabbits are quickly becoming one of the most popular animals to raise on the homestead. They are low maintenance, provide a healthy source of meat, can thrive on a small amount of space, have a short turnaround time from birth to butcher, and are very feed efficient. Not to mention they just are fun to have around. Although it may be hard to fathom using something as cuddly as a rabbit for meat, it's hard to deny they are great animals to raise on any homestead. Free fertilizer. Rabbits are an abundant source of fertilizer for your garden. On average, one rabbit can produce up to 500 pellets of waste per day. These pellets are packaged with packed with nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium and are a great addition to the garden. Rabbit manure won't burn your plants like poultry manure will, which means you can apply it directly to the garden without composting it first. On our farm, we raise our rabbits in cages with wire bottoms. During the spring and fall, we place these cages directly on our garden space and move them along every day. When it comes time to plant the garden, all we have to do is till under the rabbit manure and our soil amendments have been done for us. 
feed efficiency. Rabbits are more efficient at converting pounds of feed to pounds of meat than many large animals. On average, rabbits will produce one pound of meat for every four pounds of feed consumed. Compare this to cows, which need seven pounds of feed to produce one pound of meat. The feed efficiency of rabbits means you will get the most bang for your buck when it comes to turning purchased feed into meat. These numbers are based on a pellet-based diet, of course, and the amount of feed needed to produce one pound of meat will be higher if you raise your rabbits on a pasture-only diet. Here is more information on what to feed rabbits. And again, like I say, always, um, you know, in the article with Survival Sullivan on the budget guns and cheap guns, and then on this gun, um, on this uh, article as well on rabbits, there's always links in, you know, things that you want to go check out the video. Uh, you just want to go check out the video of the exploding 22 on the, the budget gun one. All right, continuing on. Uh, short turnaround. From birth to butcher, rabbits feed on a diet of pasture and pellets can be ready to eat in between 8 and 11 weeks. That's about the same amount of time as your commercial broiler chicken breeds. And because the gestation period for rabbits is only 30 days, <clears throat> excuse me, you can have a steady stream of rabbits available just by staggering your breeding dates by one month. Using an average litter size of six, a single breeding pair of rabbit, a doe and a buck, can produce up to 72 baby rabbits or kits a year. That's over 200 pounds of meat a year. Rabbits, rabbit meat is quite possibly one of the healthiest meats around. It is extremely low in cholesterol and saturated fat and it boasts one of the highest protein contents per ounce of meat. A three ounce serving of rabbit meat has about 28 grams of protein, much higher than chicken or beef. Rabbit meat is also a good source of iron and a wide range of other minerals, including phosphorus and potassium. If one of your criteria for raising livestock on your homestead is cut cost, rabbits can be a great option. If you choose to raise your rabbits completely on pasture, their feed is free during the summer. They do very well eating nothing but grass and vegetable scraps. Raising them this way will result in slower growth time, however, up to 23 weeks in some cases. But when you weigh the extra time against the cost savings of not having to buy pellets during the summer, rabbits can be very appealing to the cost-conscious homesteader. If your homestead is limited to an urban backyard or even an apartment rooftop, rabbits can be a great livestock option. The infrastructure needed to raise rabbits is fairly minimal and with the right planning can be done in a fairly small space. Each breeding, breeding rabbit needs its own hutch, but there are a lot of plans available that show you how you can stack hutches for maximum space efficiency. You can even hang your rabbit cages to make working with them easier and protect them from any ground predators that may lurk about. Rabbits that you'll be using for meat production, typically called fryers, can be kept in a larger hutch together colony style as long as they are butchered before they reach sexual maturity. If you will be raising your fryer rabbits together in one rabbit hutch, it is usually better if they are all from the same litter. This ensures that there won't be any dominance issues when mixing two different litters and will make knowing your butchering dates easier. Many people love waking up to the rooster crow at dawn or walking outside to a goose loud greeting, but many people don't. And for those people, rabbits are a wonderful option. They are very quiet, won't bother the neighbors, and when socialized well, are very easy to handle and move around as necessary. Because they are so easily handled, rabbits can also be a wonderful animal for teaching young children the responsibi responsibilities of caring for livestock. All right, so I got to agree with everything here because I have had chickens and rabbits. Chickens are, you know, they start uh, doing their thing in the morning and uh, they do get pretty loud. And so being in a suburban, uh, you know, neighborhood, 
I'm I'm really surprised no neighbor ever complained or ever brought up the the chickens ever. Um, you know, I had them for about a year and a half until you know I had I only had two, uh, and uh, it, something got to it. Don't know exactly what it was yet, but um, it happened it happened the night before like church, and uh, you know it was a sad thing because we we really liked having the eggs. But I'm just surprised because they were. There were times where they were really, really loud, and surprised no one ever said anything. Compared to the rabbits, rabbits you would never hear them at all, you know. And so, uh, if that's something that's a concern, and you want to do your little homestead thing in your suburban backyard, man, this is something something to do. I always I always remember my father-in-law talking about how they moved their hutch around uh, every uh, certain amount of weeks, and it's just the the grass that was under the the hutch. Uh, because of the the fertile, you know, the rabbit poop, man, it just it, it it did so much better. You could see it in the patches, and so there's just a lot of um, uh, a lot of advantages there. All right, so go check out the Homestead Survival site and this article. All right, so I want to go ahead and go into the interview here. And uh, Dr. Bones and Nurse Sammy, like I said, two two of my favorite people in preparedness. And really, um, when we talk about um, what they do, what they do is so different than all the other websites out there because it's 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 dealing with the medical side of things and uh, you don't have too many people out there doing what they're doing uh talking about uh medical from a uh, medical or medicine uh issues from a preparedness standpoint and so when i got into preparedness i knew that that i mean i knew that i could deal with food i could deal with water early on i knew that i could deal with all of that um there's not that much of a learning curve there you just got to find out the information and and you've got to start trying it you know uh making food buckets or what you know all of that stuff you you can you can try it there's a lot of information out there but medical preparedness i knew that was something that if things got bad um, there's going to be some things, you know, ba- basic things that, that I know how to do. I was a Boy Scout. I've had first aid training and CPR and that kind of stuff. But, you know, beyond that, you know, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. And so when I was doing my preparedness research at the very beginning, their their website was one of the first ones that I was hitting. And uh, one of the first ones where I was I was really going to and, and, and getting the information and like, man, hey, this is a good article. This is a good article. I want to download this. I want to save this. And and uh, so uh, I've always had that special love for them uh, and for the for the information that they point out. And so, you know, that I've always pu- pushed their uh, their book, uh, I, the medical medical survival handbook. Uh, it's like no other book out there that I've found. And uh, it's on its third edition. They're going to talk a little bit about that in their interview. And uh, I, I think everyone should have it. So I'm going to link to it. I'm going to link to a whole bunch of stuff today because there's a lot more stuff even after the interview that I'm going to link to. But I'm going to link to, they're going to talk about their their website. They're going to talk about their store. I'm going to link to all that kind of stuff, uh, good information. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and go to that interview with Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. I'm Joe Alden, MD a retired medical doctor, fellow of the American College of Surgeons, and life fellow of the American College of OBGYN, also member of the Wilderness Medical Society and others. And I'm Amy Alton. I'm an advanced registered nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. Although we're retired, we still carry active medical licenses in our home state. Our mission is to put a medically prepared person in every family for any disaster. 
To further that mission, we travel the country speaking about topics related to disaster medical preparedness and have a top 10 survival website at doomandbloom.net. Down here in Florida, we've always been hurricane-type preppers with extra supplies for the storms that sometimes pound the East Coast. I helped out after Hurricane Andrew in 1992, but didn't really get started writing about medical preparedness until after Hurricane Katrina in 2005. In that storm, many of the medical personnel converging on the scene were unable to reach those in need due to extensive flooding. It became clear that if every family had a medically prepared member, it might have prevented some loss of life. So we made it our mission to populate the country with thousands of medics held in reserve for when their people or their community needs them. And the second question is, what are your main preparedness concerns? What are you prepping for? Well, no individual event per se, other than natural disasters that might occur in our area. We've been through hurricanes, floods, heat waves, and even a terrible tornado sideswipe of our house a few years ago, which knocked down trees and sent roof tiles flying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't mean, of course, that we're not concerned about economic instability. I mean, take a look at what's happening in the world. Terror, also maybe civil unrest, which seems to be brewing out there. And uh, we expect those possibly to increase over the course of time. <clears throat> Question number three, has your preparedness changed over the years and why? Well, I'd say we've been pretty steady in our terms of preparedness strategy so that we're covered for both short-term, of course, hurricanes in South Florida, and long-term for other possible catastrophes. I would guess the only change that for us is that we continue to amass naturally medical supplies and with our own first aid company we also can put together a field hospital pretty quickly if we had to question number four tell us about your book what is it about and why do you, did you decide to write it our book is the survival medicine handbook the essential guide for when medical help is not on the way now in its 700 page third edition. The book covers over 150 medical topics, but differs from your average first aid book in its mindset that the average person has become, due to some disaster or a remote setting, the end of the line with regards to their family's health. The book aims to make that person effective in their new role as medic. Most books, even survival books like Where There Is No Doctor, will end chapters with Get That Person to the Hospital or Get That Person to the Doctor. From front cover to back, our book never does because it assumes that something has happened and access to doctors and hospitals no longer exists for the foreseeable future. The third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook is meant to help the average person function effectively to deal with medical issues in short or long-term disasters where the ambulance may not be heading in your direction. We've also written books on epidemic diseases as well, such as Ebola and Zika virus. All of our books have actually spent time on the New York Times or Amazon bestseller lists. Question number five. What feedback have you received from your book that is most surprising to you? We're most amazed that the book received any feedback at all, given that it's a self-published book and was even self-edited down to putting together the index ourselves. A. Aardvark, page 357 B, uh, bandage, page 512. Oh, boy, that was a real project. 
For a book that we thought would sell maybe a couple hundred copies, we now reached about 100,000. And the Survival Medicine Handbook seems to have become a standard part of serious libraries in the preparedness community. Next question, what part of your book would you like to make sure that readers pay careful attention to? Probably the part that you won't find in other books, like the section on antibiotics and their veterinary equivalents. We were the first physician and nurse practitioner to write about the use of aquarium and bird antibiotics in survival settings and how to use them wisely in times of trouble. You know, there will be death from infections that could have been avoided in survival scenarios if every medic had a supply of these in their medical storage. The Survival Medicine Handbook goes over quite a few of these in detail and in plain English. And here's question number seven. Could you paste in a paragraph from your book that gives a good feel for what readers will experience? Well, here's an excerpt from our The Survival Medicine Handbook introduction. Joe is going to answer this question. Almost all handbooks, some quite good, on wilderness or third world medicine will usually end a section with go to the hospital immediately. Although this is excellent advice for modern times, it won't be very helpful in an uncertain future when the hospitals might all be out of commission. We only have to look at Hurricane Katrina in 2005 to know that even modern medical facilities may be useless if they're understaffed, undersupplied, and overcrowded. The majority of the citizens in New Orleans became involuntarily their own medical care providers in the aftermath of the storm. With medical assistance teams overwhelmed, no one was coming to the age of one injured or ill individual when thousands needed help simultaneously. Each household became the end of the line when it came to its own well-being. When this situation is thrust upon a head of household, certain adjustments can increase the chances of staying healthy. Medical supplies must be accumulated to deal with varied emergencies. Medical knowledge must be obtained, shared, and assimilated. The acquired medical supplies and skills have to fit the mindset that you've got to adopt in a true disaster. That things have changed for the long term and that you might be the highest medical asset your family has left. This is an enormous responsibility. Many, when confronted, will decide they cannot bear the burden of being in charge of the medical care of others. Others, however, will find the fortitude to wear the badge of survival medic. These individuals may have some medical experience, but most will simply be fathers and mothers who understand that someone must be appointed to handle things when medical help is not on the way. If this reality first becomes apparent when a loved one becomes deathly ill, the likelihood you'll have the training and supplies needed to be effective will be close to zero. This is a sure way to make certain that when everything else fails, you will too. This book is meant to educate and prepare those who want to ensure the health of their loved ones. If you can absorb the information here, you'll be better equipped to handle 90% of the emergencies that you'll see if the power goes down. As well, you'll have a realistic view of what medical issues are survivable without modern care. All right, question number eight. What else would you want preppers to know about your book? That although the book is meant to help you be effective in situations where you're the highest medical resource left, it's not a medical diploma. In situations where there's a fully functioning medical, modern infrastructure, it's illegal and punishable by law to practice medicine without a license. If medical professionals exist, please seek them out. 
Having said that, we've made every effort to give you a step-by-step -step instruction in plain English on how to function in the role as medic for your survival community. You'll learn what supplies we want you to have, how to use them, and also what natural remedies would be helpful in austere or disaster settings. We want you to be able to use all the tools in the woodshed. All right, number nine. Tell us about your website, podcast, or YouTube channel. What is your main focus? Our main focus is to provide strategies for folks to be able to help their family and, of course, others with medical issues that occur during and after disasters, both short-term and long-term. We discuss what supplies are useful to have on hand, what knowledge and training is going to be integral to putting an effective medic in every family. We aim to accomplish these goals in print in our website at doomandbloom.net via audio on the Survival Medicine Hour, which is a podcast, and we it's broadcast on blogtalkradio.com, plus a bunch of other prepper websites, on and also on videos in our YouTube channel at Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. You'll find close to a thousand articles, podcasts, and videos at doomandbloom.net on everything from amputation to athlete's foot, from let's say, hemorrhage to hemorrhoids, and from dental issues to depression. All right, number 10. This might not be the exact number. I may not have mentioned them, certain numbers. Oh, that's okay. I, I've counted the next, them. It's, I counted oh, okay. them. It's, it's, the next question. <laughs> I know it's number 10. Do you have any upcoming projects that listeners might be interested in? Well, we continue to design and add new medical kits and individual supplies to our store at store.doomandbloom.net. We put together kits for the casual hiker, biker, for the hunter, for gun ranges, for the car, for the rural homestead, all the way to kits for the caregiver of an extended family or mutual assistance group in long-term survival settings. We even put together kits of dental supplies. Aha! <laughs> For long-term survival scenarios, very few people, even those who are medically prepared, realize really how common dental issues might be when you're off the grid for even a few months. We've been especially concerned about some of the active shooter and terror events, even some in the past few days, that seem to be on the rise recently and have designed a first aid bleeding kit, which is meant to be for public access in spaces like malls, schools, workplaces, churches, and other areas at risk. We predict that our kit, or a kit like it, will be on the wall next to the fire extinguishers and possibly the automated defibrillators anywhere crowds may gather. In, in the near future, too. Yeah, exactly. We're also concerned about law enforcement officers not being adequately equipped medically possibly because there's a lack of funds. So we have now created a downed officer kit that's compact, lightweight, and has the ability to deal with two major hemorrhages. We also recently filmed a DVD on the bleeding wound and how to effectively stop bleeding. The DVD includes a lot of things, but one especially that you're going to want to see is demonstrations of three different tourniquets and how to use them properly, plus a lot more. The DVD should be available the first week of May, and this is 2017. 
Next question is, will you give us two to three examples of your work that you would like to share with our listeners? Wow, you can find almost a thousand examples of our work on our website at doomandbloom.net, including topics such as terrorism, active shooters, vehicular terrorism, situational awareness, how to use antibiotics, hemorrhage control, dehydration, heat stroke, hypothermia, natural remedies, the formula for penicillin, understanding allergies, mass casualty incidents, survival at sea, orthopedic injuries, skin reactions, um, epidemic and pandemic diseases like Ebola, Zika, dysentery, uh, much more. Uh, articles on medical preparedness for natural disasters, uh, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, blizzards, earthquakes, mudslides, mudslides, even avalanches, gosh, even volcano preparedness, for goodness sake. So there's probably not much that we haven't written or talked about in one way or another via our articles or podcasts, videos, or certainly interviews. And all of these, and much, much more, can be accessed by simply using the search engine on our website or by getting a copy of the third edition of the Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way. Next question. Uh, what would you like to say to the Prepper website podcast listeners? I'd like to say that the average citizen may one day find themselves to be the highest medical resource left to their family, whether it's because of a natural disaster, a man-made event, or just being a witness to a car accident. With some knowledge and a few supplies, any good citizen can make a difference. If you take some time and devote some effort to becoming a medical asset to your people in times of trouble, have no doubt you will save lives. And looks like last question here. Where can people find you? Links and social media. Well, you can find our website at doomandbloom.net, our Twitter at Prepper Show, our YouTube channel at Dr. Bones, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, our Survival Medicine Facebook group at Survival Medicine, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, our Survival Medicine podcast at blogtalkradio.com, and our Survival Medicine handbook and other books on Amazon. Dot com and on our website. Don't forget to get the third edition. We also have a non-medical current events podcast called American Survival Radio through Genesis Communications Network at americansurvivalradio.com or gcnlive.com. This has been picked up by uh, several radio stations throughout the country. You'll also find us traveling the country, by the way, from Vermont to Oregon this year, teaching medical preparedness. Oh, we almost forgot to mention our board game that we designed to help the lone prepper get the rest of the family into the preparedness mindset. It's called Doom and Bloom Survival, and it receives a Teaching Preparedness Resource Award from the Prepared Family blog. You'll find the game at survivalboardgame.com. Thanks so much. All right, Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, do this interview and record this on your time and uh, doing this for the Prepper Website Podcast listeners. I really do appreciate that. Uh, you know, they've come to Houston a couple of times. I, you know, I've done a lot of talking with them on, uh, through email. I've been on the podcast uh, once, once or twice maybe. Um, and so finally got to meet them one time at the Self-Reliant Expo in Dallas. And then they came to a Popular Mechanics Expo here in uh, Houston, Emergency Preparedness, that was sponsored by Popular Mechanics. And then they came to the Self-Reliant Expo again here in Houston, uh, you know, not too long ago. I don't know if the Self-Reliant Expo is going to come to Houston again or not, but uh, it was great. Uh, they came over the house and we barbecued and, and got to spend some time 
just just in a relaxed atmosphere talk talking not through email or not through a podcast or anything like that and i just want to tell you those of you who have not met them they're genuine people they're great people to uh i mean they're they're real you know real people what you see is what you get i mean they they believe in what they're they're talking about and it's it's important to them and they're out there they don't have to do what they're doing um, they're doing it out there because they want to get this information out to people. So if you get a chance to go to one of the self-reliant expos, and you can go to that, to, I think selfrelianceexpo.com, uh, you can you can go and you can see where they're going to be because they do their uh, uh, suturing um, class, and and you can meet them and you can see all the stuff that they have and and talk to them and, and you'll find out for for yourself. But anyway, I'm going to link to. Uh, like I said, I'm going to link to their website. I'm going to link to their store. You got to check out their store. Uh, you got to check out all their kits. They've got really great kits. And uh, getting a couple of them, you're you're supporting them. Maybe getting some of those that would support a police officer in donating. Maybe there's a there's a police officer that that uh, patrols your neighborhood and giving that to them, just letting them know, hey, I just want to give you this. This is you know for emergencies, and you kind of give them that. Um, you might want to buy something for your church where um, you know you can hang it with the fire extinguisher, the kit that they were talking about. You could do that. And so uh, a lot of good ways that you can support them. And uh, I do recommend supporting the, the smaller online stores. There's some bigger online stores that are in it for the money. Uh, big corporations, there's smaller ones out there. They advertise on Prepper website, and I, I, you know, those are the ones that uh, you really want to to look at because you're you're supporting people that really believe in preparedness. They're not doing it for um, just because it's it's the niche or they can just get you know uh, make money off of it. Anyway, okay, so I've gone long on that one, um, but definitely you want to go check out their stuff. And if you don't have their book, please buy their book you need you need that book look through it just the herbal and the essential oil stuff is is worth it the, the fish antibiotic stuff is worth it if you're buying any fish antibiotics uh, like from campingsurvival.com you you need to have that that other aspect of it the, the knowledge of how to administer it all right all right so let's move on man i'm going long Okay, so the next uh, article comes from 1776patriotusa.com. John Rourke over there. And this is a short article, but it's one of those that kind of get, uh, get you thinking, right? Uh, so here we go. What if someone you had in... I'm sorry. What? Let me go ahead and start that one over. What if somehow you had inside information that an impending doom was going to occur in six months? What would you do? How would, you, how would your priorities change? What action would you take to ensure the best possible chance for you and your family's survival? Would you tell your friends? And what if it was 12 months? So many questions. Here's another. Did they, did they get you thinking? Obviously, this post is entirely fictional. I have no way of predicting the future with any significant level of certainty. However, I do feel something is coming. I know I am not alone and at times answering questions like those presented here help draw me back on target and get things in perspective. So, to play along, here's what I would do if I knew I had six months to get ready. Night vision. I would purchase night vision. It is such an advantage to be able to see in the night without anyone else knowing. What a fantastic combat multiplier. Night vision is expensive, but if I knew of an impending event, I would be willing to spend the money. Food. Continued stocking up would be in order. Due to the immediate nature of the event, I would stock up on inexpensive canned goods as well as some dry products. Pancake mix, syrup, spices, and dehydrated potatoes are a few examples. Seeds. 
Inexpensive heirloom seeds would be sourced locally and stored in large quantity. Some fertilizer would be good to add as well. Firearms training. I would seek out some additional training with an emphasis on group tactics. I am lacking in that area. Extra clothing. Items for both summer and winter, underwear and lots of socks. Good boots and hiking shoes would be put back. Soap and cleaning products. I would stock up on bars of soap, disinfectant, bleach, and toilet paper. I would also pick up a couple of small pressure sprayers that you manually pump up. These would be good as many showers. Liquor. A few bottles of Jack Daniels wouldn't hurt. Bic lighters and matches. I would fill up an 18-gallon tote with both. Nails and screws. Without these, any building projects would be difficult. Post-SHTF, these supplies would be very valuable. Guns and ammo. Even though I feel very good about my levels in these areas, I would add an additional couple firearms and coinciding ammunition. Water. I would add additional Berkey water filters as well as a couple of big Berkeys from Directive 21. Additional rain barrels and a few 55-gallon potable water drums would also be added. Fuel. As much as I could store. Spare generator. Hey, one is good, but you never know. Communications. Additional ham radios and antennas. More power and greater height would be sought after. Chickens. I would build a pen and get a good supply of chickens. Batteries. Enough said. Spare glasses. At least a few for every member of the family who needs them. Looking over my list, I realized something. I just put together a list of these items I am most in need of, at least for the most part. Although it may be unrealistic to run out and purchase all these things in short order, it is, at least for me, a decent guide to follow and keep in front of me. The list could be endless. What would be on your list? And John has a lot of... Um, uh, you know, a, a big community over there, and so there's a lot of comments in the in the articles. You can go check those out. A lot of people adding to that, and so uh, again, one of those uh, things to kind of think about. Maybe if you are uh, you have a little bit of time just to reflect and like, hey, what would I buy? What would I do? It's kind of one of those. I don't know if you've ever done it with your maybe with your spouse. Uh, if I won, if I won the lottery, you know, if we won the lottery, what, what would we do? You know, have you ever done that one? And uh, same kind of idea there. You know, if you won, if you won the, um, or not if you won, if you if you knew that it, things were coming down and the, the balloon was going to go up, you know, what would you do? What would you buy? Uh, how would you respond? Is there something that you would uh, start doing right away? So uh, there you go. All right, so I want to talk very quickly about Syria, and I don't want to talk it, talk about it from uh, necessarily a political point. I want to talk about it from a prophetic point. And so uh, one of the things uh, recently, if you've been on PrepperWebsite.com, well, let me start out by saying this. Those of you who are coming to uh, the podcast and you're not coming from Prepper Website, uh, maybe you found us on iTunes or Stitcher or one of the other uh, podcast networks, uh, I am a Christian, unapologetically a Christian, and I am a minister as well. And i got to tell you, up until about mm, probably about three years ago, uh, not even three years, probably about two years ago, didn't care too much about prophecy. Growing up when I was young, uh, I was into it a lot, but around 19, 20 years old, I just got, got kind of got bored with it all. You know, Jesus was always coming and nothing ever happened. And so I'm like, okay, I, my, my view... Uh, changed then, and I still have the same view, is I want to know the different views of prophecy. I want to know the different views of the last day. Uh, I don't necessarily want to subscribe to to only one, because I think when people do that, they're closed-minded, and they don't see if something else happens. Uh, it's the same same kind of thing with the, the Jewish people. Uh, we're in Holy Week, right? 
and they thought Jesus was coming and Jesus was going to be, or the Messiah was coming and he was going to be this militaristic uh, Messiah that was going to kick Rome out and restore the kingdom like it was in, in David and Solomon's time. And they were totally off, but they had that view and that was the view of the day. So I always said, I never want to have that view. I want to have a big, the big picture. I want to know the different views. I want to keep my eyes open and I just want to know what's kind of going on. So, um, Again, probably about two years ago, some things that started happening just in my life and in my spiritual life, I started uh, looking at at some of these, uh, looking at prophecy again, and I still hold to the view that I, I want to know the different views and and go af- go after it. One of the big views, though, of you know that like the Book of Revelations and prophecy is. Um, looks at that there are future events that are going to be happening. I mean, some have happened, uh, you know, some have happened in the past. Uh, some are, are going to be happening in the future. Uh, and so, like, you get the Revelations chapter 3 and on, and, and then you, Daniel and Ezekiel and whatever. You go to all those, all those. One of the, the views is that, you know, there is going to be an Armageddon. There's going to be a battle, all that kind of stuff. And one of the things that everyone says is that, um, you know, you're going to have Russia, Turkey, Iran, those players are going to be involved. Well, up until um, 2015, and I'm, I'm saying that, up until October 2015, Russia wasn't even, everyone would say, like, there's no way, Russia is, is, is really not, okay, Russia is, uh, maybe they believed it, but, you know, how does that play out? You know, how does Russia get involved? Well, the reason I say 2015, October 1st, 2015, is I, I follow Martin Armstrong. So if you come from PurpleWebsite.com, you know I post some of his articles. Um, I wish he would give me permission to read his articles, but but he hasn't. Um, he he does a lot of uh, he has he looks at cycles, and he is not a he is not coming from a Christian standpoint. He is not coming from even preparedness standpoint. He's coming from a fin- for the financial world, the economic world. He's got a he's got a, a cool story. You should go look at it, and 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 uh, kind of wrapped up in nine eleven a little bit. If you want to believe all the you know go down the the rabbit trail and the conspiracy and all that stuff, but. He has a computer program that looks at trends, and he'll always tell you, it's not me, it just looks at trends, it looks at cycles. And one of the dates that, since I had been following him, he'd been putting out was 2015.75. When you break it down, and it's kind of weird, I did an article on it that was always popular because people were always looking up 2015.75, how to get to it. It broke down to October 1st, 2015. Well... He would always talk about it that you know, hey, we're you know we're looking at October first, twenty fifteen. That's the the ECM, the Economic Confidence Model. Uh, that's when you know there's supposed to be a turn. Well, on October first, twenty fifteen, that's when Russia started bombing uh, ISIS and and all the rebels in Syria. And so it was kind of like a wow, you know, this is all of a sudden Russia's in there and they're you know they started this and it happened on this day. And so. Um, Martin Armstrong talks a little bit about the, the EMC, the, the economic confidence model, and he says that this is kind of like the turning. This is where the confidence, people's confidence are not going to be in government anymore, and you, you kind of have seen it. It's been building over and over, uh, or bigger and bigger here as we continue on with like Brexit. It's, it's happened with Donald Trump. He was the, the populist president. Um, when you look at... Um, See, I'm just going to read just a little bit here. The target has been huge for us given that we have two war cycle models, civil unrest that leads to revolution, and two, international war. It is sort of like the blood moon stuff insofar as it does not line up so easily. 
the main convergence of the war cycle between both models began to turn in 2014. And so anyway, so he goes on and he gives a, a, a big explanation, but he's talking about this was kind of like the, um, what he says is, uh, he has come to, to realize that when um, there's a peak in the ECM, economic confidence model, that there are things that wind up happening in the world that kind of like, you know, start to trigger things and, and you can see it. So I'm going to link to this article and it's an older one, um, October 1st, 2015. So he, he started writing about it uh, or he, he wrote about the bombing in Syria uh, by Russia on, on that date. So I'm going to link to that one. So I say that because he recently put an article out, and I put it on Prepper website, um, that the whole issue about Syria is a pipeline. I mean, that's that's what it is. It's a pipeline. And uh, so you have uh, the Saudis want the pipeline that runs from Qatar, goes through Saudi Arabia. The problem is, is that it has to go up to Syria and then across Turkey. And so Syria doesn't want that because uh, Iran doesn't want that and Russia doesn't want that. Russia's in there to protect their, um, you know, their pipeline, the way that they get their oil out to the to Europe. And so uh, I had that article that I recently posted on Prepper website um, has uh, the pipelines, has the Qatar Turkey pipeline and the Iran pipeline. And uh, so just to kind of let you see that, I'm going to link to that one as well. The reason I say all of this is that. When you look at prophecy in the Old Testament, sometimes we think of prophecy and we like, okay, it's it's you know a spiritual thing and all this kind of stuff, but it really manifests itself in the in, in militaristic situations, in political situations, in economic situations. So uh, you know my my devotional right now, I'm reading in Jeremiah, and so prophecies are happening, right? Things are happening, and and they're talking about going down to Egypt and you know Babylon and all these things, and so it's God's judgment on Israel, but he's using Babylon, he's bringing judgment, you know, he'll bring judgment on Egypt, he's doing all these things, and it's, uh, it's really, you know, it manifests itself, so it's a prophetic, it's God, you know, working behind the scenes, it's spiritual, but it is, um, it manifests itself in the, the mil- mil- militaristic, uh, you know, situations, economic situations, uh, political situations, and so, um, the same kind of so bringing that all together is you've got Syria that looks like a very political uh, thing. You know you've got Russia concerned about their economy. You've got uh, you know you've got the Saudis wanting to uh, you know their economy and they're wanting their oil and they want to be able to sell their oil and you have all these kinds of things going on. But it's really kind of moving towards and moving towards and, and building on this prophetic thing at least. So when uh, October first, 2015, when Russia started bombing. In Syria, everybody in prophecy, I mean, their their antennas were going up. It's like, man, what? Oh my gosh, look at this. Like all the end time players are now in the Middle East before Russia wasn't there. But now all the end time players are there in the Middle East and it's active. It's not like just it's a passive thing. Things are going on. There's military there. There's bombs going off. There's planes going. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Things can go off. So um, the thing with Syria, with the bombing of the the sarin gas and, and all of that, and the America coming in and, and doing that, um, I wanted to just point out there's two people that I respect out there, uh, or at least two people that um, I listen to. 
um, or at least I, I look at their analysis of what I guess what I want to say. Uh, and you know that I used to do if if you're coming from Prepper website, I used to do a weekly Watchmen. I'm kind of taking a break from that for a little bit because I do have a lot of things going on. But in um, this podcast, I really enjoy the podcast. But the the prophecy update is just you know I, I'm still listening to them. I'm just not really posting them on the on the website. So one of the guys I listen to is J D. Frock, and he's at Calvary Chapel, Kanohe in Hawaii. And he was talking, and he's coming from you know, hey, America did the right thing, bombing Assad, and and you know he he was shooting off uh, this the sarin gas, and so you you kind of. He makes a very good argument for it. Uh, you know that uh, Asad and his father used, uh, used uh, chemical weapons over and over on their people, right? But then you have the other side. So the other guy that I was reading today, and, it, and he didn't write it, but it's on his website, uh, Ray Gano on uh, RayGano.com. Again, I'm going to link to this one. It's prophesying. Um, it was written. This article was written by Andrew Drapper, and uh, this guy is talking about like, hey, does it make sense? It doesn't make sense that Assad would do this when things are looking good. There's no reason why to get the international community all up in an uproar about what's going on. And he, this, um, so Drapper, he quotes a guy named Seymour Hirsch, uh, and um, so it's quoted in here. And let me read it. I'm not going to read the whole article. I don't have permission to read the whole article, but let me just read this quote for you. Seymour Hirsch says, Hillary approves sending Libya Sarin to Syrian rebels. The great investigative journalist Seymour Hirsch, in two previous articles in the London Review of Books, Who Sarin and the Red Line and the Rat Line, has reported that the Obama administration falsely blamed the government of Syria's Bashar al-Assad for the sarin gas attack that Obama was trying to use as an excuse to invade Syria. And Hirsch pointed to a report from British intelligence saying that the sarin that was used didn't come from Assad's stockpiles. Hirsch also said that a secret agreement in 2012 was reached between the Obama administration and the leaders of Turkey, Saudi Arabia, and Qatar to set up a sarin gas attack and blame it on Assad so that the U.S. could invade and overthrow Assad. By the terms of the agreement, funding came from Turkey as well as Saudi Arabia and Qatar. The CIA, with the support of MI6, was responsible responsible for getting arms from Gaddafi's arsenal into Syria from strategicculture.org. So, um, there's a, supposedly there's a YouTube video. It's not linked here in this article. But anyway, it, it's, it's saying that, you know, it, we're in the same situation here. Um, it, was, it was created, this whole issue was created so America could get involved. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why our presidents are tied in with the Saudis. Um, You've heard the the you've heard it said that during 9/11, when all air traffic control, all air traffic was just grounded completely. The only plane that was up flying over American skies was uh, you know one of the Saudi princes because he had special privileges. And so I, I don't know what the, all that tie is in there. So you've got two prophecy guys uh, that I I respect that they're putting information out there and they're coming from both sides. Um, the thing that I want to point out here is that we might not ever know what the truth is because there's just so much out there. But we should be aware. We should be uh, paying attention to what's going on. So not just, I mean, that's Syria, that's way over there, has nothing to do. It does, it can affect us over here. And so things can escalate very, very quickly. One of my favorite prophecy preachers, John Haller, talks about, and Jacob Prash 
talks about that the closer you get to the end, things start speeding up faster and faster and faster. So the prophecies about Jesus start increasing uh, when he comes on the scene, you know, at, in, at the beginning of Matthew when he's a baby. But the, um, the last week of Jesus' life, Holy, Holy Week, where we're in right now, the prophecies are just really a lot, like a big portion of the prophecies that Jesus fulfills happen, you know, like 40%, I think, is, is the number, happen in the Holy Week, you know, in this week. And so as you get closer and closer, things start happening and start ramping up a lot faster to where a lot of the prophecy people, when you listen to them, they're like, man, things are happening so fast, we can't keep up with them. So all that to say is that you should be keeping an eye out. You know, you should be keeping aware. Uh, it's real easy to just kind of bug out and just like, hey, man, I'm just focusing on whatever it is, is there. And I'm not talking about living paranoia. I'm not talking about living in fear. I'm not talking about, you know, I'm a Christian. I, I totally, you know, I'm in, my life is in God's hands. But um, you should be paying attention because, you know, things, uh, kind of like the, the article that we just read from John Rourke at 1776, PatriotUSA.com, um, you know, if you knew that things were getting bad, you know, what would you do? And if you saw things were getting crazy over there, you know, if you saw Russia not backing down, if you if you see, you know, Russia is starting to, uh, you know, like, no, man, we're not going to do this. And, and now we're talking about North Korea and, and, you know, talking about those kinds of things and throwing it out there. Uh, and you have people not backing out. The little man in North Korea, you know, he's not going to back down. It doesn't seem like he's going to back down. He he's got a death wish. I don't know, but you know, with 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 Trump willing to to throw bombs and stuff, who knows who knows what will happen. So that's why I'm saying you just need to keep uh, an awareness out there. You just need to pay attention and uh, keep your eyes open. So just kind of wanted to leave you with that, and I'm going to drop these articles and all the video, J.D. Frock's video. I'm going to link all that in the show notes. So I have a lot of good stuff for you to go check out for episode 38. Man, if you just if you just want to go check it out and, and listen to it, and even if you're not a Christian and just the, the prophetic side of it, you know, it, it just it's, it's good analysis. Um, you know, they start analyz uh, analyzing it and start, you know, putting out, you know, why they think this or that. And then they have, then they start to back it up. It's just not, hey, it's opinion, right? So uh, anyway, a lot of information there. I've gone on really long about that. Uh, I know some of you probably listening don't care about prophecy and stuff like that. But uh, I, I think it's it's interesting. And but it's also I think it's important for the Christian. For some reason, churches stopped talking about prophecy a long time ago, and I think that's the wrong thing. Uh, not when the Bible is somewhere between 22 and 28 percent prophecy. We should be talking about that uh, if you're a believer, at least. All right. So uh, with that, let me go ahead and end this one. Uh, if you have a chance to come by the the website, come by and drop me uh, a line in the comment section of episode 38. Uh, if you would share out this episode, I would really greatly appreciate that. We make it very easy for you on um, you know on the the website prepper the prepper website podcast.com. We can you can share it out to your different media or social media channels. We just make it really easy for you to do that. And uh, so, and if not, you know, connect with me, you know, hit me up on Twitter, Facebook, uh, and, you know, send me an email, uh, Instagram. Uh, you can also uh, make sure that you're, you're thinking about uh, joining the Facebook group. And I got a link to that on the menu bar, this Facebook group, uh, building a, a, or living a more self-reliant life. Uh, and so we're kind of throwing some things out there. It's not really going to, I mean, we've got some people in there, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hoping to start 
talking more about self-reliance and how we can you know start doing just not the preparedness part of it but how we can start building um, you know systems into our lives networks and infrastructure into our lives to help us to live a more self-reliant life so with that choose to live a more self-reliant life choose not to be so dependent on the government the grid or the grind until next time stay prepped and aware peace